Welcome at How to Buy Design, the monthly meetup organized by Blue City Lab, where we search for answers on how to buy design with our international community of pioneers. We dive into our oceans, explore the organisms in the soil, look at human and non-human organisms, from the Netherlands to Central Asia. Let's get started. My name is Emma van der Leest and I'm a biodesigner working on the intersection of design, biology and technology. And as a founder of Blue City Lab, I'm very proud to host this new series. And in these monthly meetups, I meet experts from all over the world to talk about specific themes to facilitate interactions between pioneers who are already working and those who want to get started with biodesign and biofabrication. For those who are new to Blue City Lab, we believe that true circularity starts with regenerative design. Design that leads to a vibrant, biodiverse city in which ecological, social and economic values work together in a positive way. Today we kick off with the theme, polycultures for biodiversity. So how do we strengthen existing ecosystems through biodiversity in the lab and on the streets? An interesting trend from last year's How to Buy Design meetups was that many pioneers, so pioneers in buy design, preferred wild microbes. So microbes coming from the park or from the street or from your local river for their processes over genetic modified ones or lab organism which you purchase, for example, online. In biotech, this preference is unusual to work with polycultures rather than standard model organisms. While nature has no monoculture, there is always a symbiosis. Think about the agriculture or the fish in the sea. They all work together. They can't live without each other. So let's talk about the implications of choosing polycultures in finding biocircular solutions. And for the ones who have or joined already in How to Buy Design, they know I have a co-host. And tonight I'm very delighted to have Roland van Dierendonk as my co-host. I got to know Roland when he led the Biohack Academy at Waag in Amsterdam, a 10-week course where participants learn to work in the laboratory, design, build and use their own equipment and follow their individual fascinations in creative biotechnology projects. And I was very happy to give a presentation about my work. Currently, Roland is based uh, in Oslo in Norway and is a PhD candidate at the Lab for Living Sheffield Hallam University, working with biology, touch and motion. He has had a long interest in biodigital hybrid collaborations, including slow biotic game research and chronomicroscopy. That's a very long word. He is an active member of the global DIY bio community, democratizing biotechnology through affordable tools, shared laboratory spaces and interdisciplinary collaborations. He is a fellow of the Global Community Biosummit, organized annually at the MIT Media Lab in Boston. Currently, he is a member of BitRef, the makerspace in Oslo, so check it out if you don't know it, where he's active in the biohacker community and helped set up a microscopy course. And he's also working with Norwegian BioArt Arena, organizing workshops and dinners. So he does a lot and he knows a lot. He's joining currently from Vienna, and he's been in Austria for the two weeks, um, working on the food ecologies project, the Riverbank Buffet. So if you check out on his Instagram, you can find fascinating images from last weekend. 
And this riverbank buffet consisting of 10 fermented food bites and drinks, accompanied by 10 artworks at the Stadsweerstad uh, 48 and uh, at the Art Electronica Festival in Linz. So welcome, Roland. Glad to have you here tonight. Thank you, Emma. Thanks for the introduction. Yes, and you will introduce us a bit more in, in the topic of tonight, right? Polycultures for biodiversity. That is my uh, task in the next 10 minutes. I'll give you a, a short introduction into polycultures. Shall I just kick it off? You can kick off. So what I'll do is I'll first give a short introduction into what polycultures are. I won't talk too much about microscopy, although now I'm doing a lot of microscopy, which might also be with polycultures. But now I will focus mainly on um, the fermentation, which you just heard Emma speak about, and also about uh, wet lab microbiology practices and how to work with uh, bacteria in a lab, as I've done a lot at the Bioacademy at Waag. But I'll start um, with a little bit more on what polycultures are. So polycultures are the opposite of mono-monocultures. Mono is one and poly means many. It is a trend in agriculture where before uh, there used to be a lot of monocultures, which gives a lot of problems, can give pests. But also uh, in microbiology, there's a lot of monocultures. For example, if you grow E. coli, that's a, a monoculture. Or if you um, try to grow almost anything in a bio lab, it's very clean, it's very mono. But lately there's a trend going on um, to look if you can combine more species together. In agriculture, you see this with permaculture and also with food forest. Uh, and also in the microbiology and in biodesign, uh, people are trying to kind of combine different species and see if they can um, exist together and, and maybe have symbi symbiotic relationships or what the interactions are. Uh, and also work with wild species, as Emma already mentioned. So can you take samples from the wild, uh, work with these in the laboratory and, and work with the diversity and manifold of the organisms that are present in such a sample and to grow these in the laboratory. Now, this is very different from uh, microbial techniques, which you use in a microbiolab normally. Um, so at the Open Wet Lab at Waag, I uh, led the Biohack Academy for a couple of editions. And there, uh, the students came in often with no biology, biology background and they learned how to use the lab and how to work sterilely. So you have to clean the surface with alcohol. You have to uh, work with a flame to create a sterile air. So no spores or bacteria can come into your samples and you clean all your um, petri dishes and other tools that you use in a pressure cooker. So to work as clean as possible. And it's done in microbiology since the... Uh, since a long time, again, since the invention of uh, the use of petrish and agar plates to work so as sterile as possible and create a monoculture of um, whatever you are working with. And also Louis Pasteur, right? I think he played a very big role in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pasteur. Then you talk about the pasteurization and the, 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 the sanitization and, yeah, of equipment, yeah. One thing that I told Emma before as well is I find it super interesting that during the Biohack Academy, uh, we teach people, so you go into the lab, you have to wash your hands 
30 seconds and we did exactly how to wash your hands with the biosafety officer gave them powder so with a special light we could see if there was still fluorescent powder left after they washed their hands and we turned out nobody really can wash hands so you have to learn how to wash your hands and they had to learn how not to touch their face and 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 and, and not to spread their own um, contaminants on all these open agar plates and then of course the pandemic happened and I was walking the first weeks outside there was oh my biohack students are the best prepared people in this world now because the entire world has become a biosafety tool lab which was a thought I had especially the first weeks then again there's also bio artists and bio designers who work with petri dishes where they, where they grow uh, nutrient rich substances very general uh, nutrient agars to grow uh, variety of wild, wild um, microbes and um, there's lots of examples of, of art and design currently doing that. I was just at the Arts Electronica Festival and I saw online uh, one project where the art size saloon in Toronto is called Proximal Fields um, so closed fields and it's a, com- it's a um, collaborative work of many um, artists, bio-artists who all sampled something in their home and um, created and it creates a kind of pattern tiling of, of all these of all these samples. But I want to read one quote from the um, from the website which I'm gonna return to later uh, because I think it 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 oh, it, um, it it shows um, kind of the the, the concept how agar can be used as a, as a medium to grow many uh, organisms. And I will return to this later as a kind of provocation. Um, I'll read it first. So this is from the Proximal Fields quote. Peculiar sounds and intriguing silences, the flows of the few individuals and janitors occasionally visiting the building made it surprisingly lively. Microorganisms, dust specks, and other invisible guests have populated the space undisturbed while the humans were away. The building is alive. Exhibition spaces are alive. They are living, breathing creatures populated by imaginary and real monsters. Invisible creatures. Every time we intersect with these spaces to install exhibitions, to host, hopefully in the future, crowded events, to meet and play, we initiate a dialogue, every time different. These spaces are not to be used, but to be explored and to be taken care of. Now, a very different way of uh, working with microbes and kind of where my uh, provocation of, 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 of agar is going is I just organized a riverbank buffet um, at the banks of the Danube, Danube, though now in Linz, Austria, um, where we had 10 courses with fermented food, 10 fermented drinks and 10 artworks. And um, we use that kind of to tell stories about the local ecologies and about using domestic science because fermentation in a way is domestic science. What happens is you grow, for example, goji and kind of mold on rice and it breaks down parts of the rice in smaller pieces. And so it, it digests, it's kind of a, a stomach doing its work outside your body for you. And the same like kombucha, which a lot of people of you know, which is a drink with yeast and bacteria um actually kombucha is a whole uh polyculture of different yeast and different bacteria and this is true for all these uh all these ferments so also the luck you have lacto ferments with lactobacteria 
um, met natto, which is what Bacillus subtilis. But all these spores and all these uh, uh, bacteria often come in different varieties, but you work much less um, sterile in your lab. It's, it's really a kitchen level. It's with your hands and everything is kind of imbalanced uh, because it's either very sour or very salty. And um, it's 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 a um, interesting for me to think about because it's a, a way a, a whole different way of growing microbes and of working with with polycultures. And I realized that in fermentation, you're always working with uh, uh, polyculture. I want to read one quote of you by Michael Pollan, who wrote uh, one of the most famous book on fermentation, The Art of Fermentation. Um, so fermentation is hands-on. As Michael Pollan puts it, the act of fermenting, for example, sauerkraut is, and here starts a quote, nothing less than a way of engaging with the world, or rather with several different worlds, each nested inside the other. The invisible world of fungi and bacteria, the community in which you live, and the industrial food system that is undermining the health of our bodies and the land. And so what I want to end with is, um, I wanted to end with a sort of provocation, whether agar is a right tool to kind of grow a lot of wild samples and, and search for polycos. Because what happens with agar is it's a very rich artificial medium and you only need like one spore or one bacteria or one mold to, to, to take ground and it will spread and grow uh, much more than it would in a, uh, in, a, in, a, in a polyculture, which is, for example, fermented or in soil or in, or in a uh, kind of more, more natural, diverse, uh, less sterile environment. So um, is agar the right medium? And then should we not all uh, ferment to work with polycultures? And also to think about our proximal fields and all the organisms that live in our houses. What a beautiful, uh, beautiful quote. And I totally agree. I think also because of COVID, a lot of people start to look into fermentation and we're never so close to food and making food in this way and learning about microbes, actually, that they're not, you know, they're part of our body, they're part of our environment. And um, that's what I, yeah, a really nice uh, introduction of the topic. And tonight we have two fantastic speakers who will tell us more about their works, uh, the work with different microbes, and they both have a different background, which is very interesting for our panel session later on. So our first guest is my dear colleague uh, and also former uh, user of Blue City Lab, Ivan Henriquez. Ivan is uh, originally from Brazil and now working for... Uh, I think at least 10 years uh, in works and live in the Netherlands. And he's a transdisciplinary artist and researcher working in multimedia installations, examining systems. He explores his works, hybrids of living and non-living systems, creating novel approaches to investigate endangered and inhospitable ecosystems. Throughout his works, he develops ways to enhance the communication between humans, uh, other living organisms and the environment. He considers nature as inspiration and as a necessary drive for the development of the technological world. He's also the coordinator of interdisciplinary research group Hybrid Forms Lab in Amsterdam and the mobile residency program e 
E-M-E. Um, I'm not going to pronounce it in Brazil or in Portuguese. Um, his works are exhibited internationally, participating in festivals, residencies and talks. He won several prizes and exhibited his work worldwide. His artworks are part of relevant art and new media institutions. And currently he's teaching, actually with me, uh, the intersections of art design and science for students um, uh, at the William de Kooning. Actually, he teaches in the autonomous practice. Um, and he's also a researcher in bio-based design and art, uh, also here at the William de Kooning Art Academy in Rotterdam. So welcome, Ivan. Great to have you here tonight. Let me amuse myself. Hello, Emma. Hi. Good evening to everybody who is uh, present uh, here at this, uh, at this meeting. And I'm very glad to participate. Well, I'm very curious about your work, Ivan, and how you, yeah, basically cope with poly polycultures and monocultures, and you know, assuming from coming from Brazil, uh, which has a much more richer biodiversity than here in the Netherlands. I'm very curious, uh, yeah, what your vision is on this topic. So, um, yeah, please share your work with us. Yeah, definitely will. Um... Yeah, so I can I can kind of start a little bit because my my interest from nature, of course, uh, I think like our relation to nature is something very cultural. Uh, so that actually molds the way we perceive nature as well, and what we call nature. I'm doing a sign of in between brackets here, you know, because nature is also like a word that perhaps needs to be updated. So actually, I just have to make a correction. Emma. Uh, hybrid forms is, have been always in the cloud. Uh, it's an interdisciplinary research group that has, uh, uh, has uh, professionals from all over the world and many disciplines uh, involved. And in one single moment was based here in Amsterdam, but have always been in the cloud for already 10 years throughout of this uh, research platform, which actually is uh, also part of the development and research about like a specific kind of environments, uh, but it also uh, creates innovative uh, designs and tools uh, in order to, to, to commit in a different way with living organisms. You know, so... I will start with this uh, map here, which is about <clears throat> the two lines of research that I've been doing along these 10 less years. So before I was, I was also, of course, I was uh, uh, I started up the, 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 the residency um, mobile, which is EMI, which refers to EMI. It's like experimental mobile residency program, uh, which was hosting uh, in a camper van inside of Rio de Janeiro on wheels. We were inviting artists and designers and scientists to explore uh, uh, the biome in Rio de Janeiro. So if you see like Brazil, for example, there is kind of six different kinds of biomes. We have like from deserts to canyons to, to rocks to a completely very diverse uh, kind of environment. And of course, my relation with the environment, that brought me like a lot of curiosity as well in order to understand these interplays that exist uh, within the living systems. So within these uh, 10 years of that I did this, uh, that I started like this research between living and non-living, where actually I combine machines together with living organisms. But like in order to foresee 
a possible different future, you know, because uh, that also goes very much in the way I think like Roland and you also like did a very interesting uh, introduction, but that goes very much uh, with the way we have been exploring the environment. You know, and this actually is also going to be a part of a course that I'm going to give in the School of Machines in November. So this is going to be, I'm going to start to, 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 to develop this course alongside another colleague artist, Kasha Monga. Uh, but then inside of this course, and of course, it's also part of my research, uh, is just like how can we see different ways of exploring uh, and exploring and, and investigating and getting to know better our environment. Because sometimes if you look to a plant, we think that the plant just needs like uh, water and sunlight and do the photosynthesis. But each time we discover more and more about the plants, <clears throat> we discover that the plants have, have 20 sensors. And we humans, until now, we, find, we found out that we have six. So plants can feel gravity, can feel proximity. Uh, plants can also change uh, nutrients through the root system. So, and there's a whole network of living organisms in order also that sustain and help this plant in order to live. I think we kind of lost a sort of a missing link. We give a very fast jump to biotechnology uh, where we couldn't really explore uh, these interplays that exist in nature. And of course, the time have passed and the anthropocenic landscape is already here. You know, so how can we understand <clears throat> an environment when we have a landscape which is already uh, halfway destroyed and is already halfway man-made. How can we go back and understand this? Uh, I found interesting when Roland was talking about the, the <clears throat> questioning about the use of the, the agar, you know, <clears throat> finding new ways of using the agar, but perhaps there is, you know, but this was also never a question. <clears throat> and we have been using this for already a while. And in also in order for us to understand the organisms, we also have been isolating them. And when we isolate, that creates a sort of a focus that you kind of, you, give, you, you don't give the chance to understand these interplays that exist within this organism. So if you, if you just project yourself as an organism, you can, I can only know yourself if I also know I, I will know you better if I know your peers, your siblings. So then I'll get to know who you are, you know. But <clears throat> in an organism, it's quite of the same, you know, any kind of organism. There is a lot of interplays. But coming back to the, to the research uh, here. So in this map, I show like the interspecies communication in uh, any environmental robotics. So according to the... I also changed a bit. I was going to talk about another work, but do, through the, the fermentation microorganisms, I'm going to talk about a work which there's no fermentation, but for sure microorganisms uh, in a sort of a polyculture. Also in order to understand the, the communication between these interspecies. Okay, so, and the other one, so the first one is going to be microscope-like machine. And the other one is going to be Caravel. <clears throat> uh, Light Machine was a project developed, started in uh, New York in 2013, and then it's, it's 
underdevelopment, but it already developed a lot in Japan, in the media art creators when I was invited to develop this second part of the work there. And the Carvel project was a project developed together with the Ghent uh, Microbial um, Ecology University from Ghent University. And uh, the engineers lab from uh, Rio de Janeiro. So, okay, I'll skip this one. Oh yeah, sorry. So yeah, so the microscope light machine, oh, it's going fast. <clears throat> the microscope light machine is a, is a development of a sort of a microscopy because I was imagining what if, I think like the question, what if, is also what started to make the world also creates a different kind of changes. So I'm thinking, what if we can not only see the microscope using these uh, apparatus close to our eyes, but could be something that's almost tangible, almost like a hologram, that you can see the microorganism in real time uh, and, and go around it, and you can actually see this interplay in a real live uh, image being projected in a three-dimensional uh, light setup. You know, so this was in uh, New York where I started <clears throat> just using a sort of an optical technique and a drop of water. So was, my research was really like collecting drops of water in the metro of New York, in the, in the, in the streets of New York, in the, I went to the to the sea, also in New York, to collect like several samples. And then on the right side, you can see a, like a small bio lab uh, trying to cultivate these uh, polyorganisms. And on the center, you can see that there is a, 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 a sort of a stand where I have like three laser beams. Uh, being uh, uh, beaming the light on a small drop of water. So this drop of water, of course, the, 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 the drop of water becomes a lens. And when the laser beam hits this, the center of this drop of water, there is a mirror underneath. So it hits the, the, the drop of water, hits the mirror, and the image a live image is being projected with lasers almost like, you can see the dimension of it's almost the size of a human face, let's say, um, on the wall. So actually you see a sort of an organic cinema of these organisms uh, interacting with each other. Um, so it's like a small caption of what was being projected uh, so you can see like all these bugs from the metro in New York. And then there was a whole setup inside of the installation room where I had like uh, samples from different locations. And afterwards, <clears throat> I was invited, of course, for these uh, uh, new media uh, creators in Japan, where I wanted to research about like the differences and the similarities of microorganisms that have went through radioactive radioactivity. So I went to Fukushima, so you can see myself uh, using a glove, but I'm fully packed in a hazmat suit uh, with a gazer counter on my pocket. Uh, and uh, and uh, I collect like the samples in Fukushima, but also went to Fuji to collect also some samples from the lake. And 
then I created like this kind of setup, which is a sort of a tabletop uh, hologram. But actually, the tabletop, you can imagine like 270 uh, micro projectors uh, beaming the slice of an image. Uh, and this is being uh, projected and magnified through uh, an anisotropic diffuser, which is a lens. And then what you have in the end is this uh, game of light where you have in the center of the piece, you can see that there's a hologram of these uh, microorganisms uh, also collected in uh, different places in Japan and in, in Fukushima. And also, this is also being magnified. So you can see, I mean, in the installation, the video is very difficult to capture the whole installation. But this was a, a full room with images projected about like uh, one meter and a half and two meters diameter. Uh, and this hologram on the center also being irrigated automatically by uh, a micro pump which was, was uh, feeding the system of magnification every time that the drop was disappearing through evaporation. So this is also one way of like, that I was trying to understand uh, how these interplays of these microorganisms exist in their natural medium, which is not an agar, it's uh, their natural medium, which was uh, the drop of water that I collected and trying to create a sort of a system where we can catch, kind of capture and understand this interplays of these microorganisms altogether. So Caravel is a floating robotic structure uh, which has on flo uh, floating plants uh, on board. So what is happening here? on the caravel where I have isolated microorganisms uh, from a specific bacteria that can produce electricity um, throughout the metabolic system. So these bacteria, they exist all over the surface or inside of the earth. You know, they are anaerobic bacteria, so they cannot have contact with the, with the air, with the oxygen. But they are, what they are doing here with the Carville project, they are eating what we kind of consider pollution and they are excreting electrons in the electronic circuit uh, of the, the Carville project. So this, apart from enabling the machine to live by itself through a metabolic uh, uh, process of microorganisms, is also helping, uh, helping, helping the purification of water in endangered environments. So I think that's it. I could go further, but we have 10 minutes here. So that's why I said Sara. <laughs> I <laughs> well, <could> go first. <laughs> thank you, Yvonne, so much for your nice story. And um, of course, I know your work for, for quite a while and you've worked, like you said, internationally with a lot of institutions and scientists. So I was also wondering, what is your experience with working in different countries with different scientists in the field of you know, working with, with these polycultures? Can you explain us a, a little bit more about that? What were the reactions, for example? And also in Japan, I can imagine that a lot of scientists were saying, are you crazy, you know, going to Fukushima, harvesting 
cultures that may be contaminated or still radioactive? No, to get to Fukushima was already a hustle because no one wanted actually to go with me there, you know, and the curator, he accepted the challenge and we went to Fukushima. And in Fukushima, of course, uh, it's still completely devastated. I went to Fukushima was in uh, 2018 or in the beginning of 2018. Um, but actually, if we think about the water, the water is completely interconnected. All the oceans, they are connected all together. You know, so there was even, uh, because I think like also there are a lot of things that we don't discuss anymore, but when there was the accident in Fukushima, we could find also radioactive uh, 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 signals in California, in the American coast, you know, and I put the question here, if we're still eating radioactive fishes and seafood until today, and uh, this is an information that we actually, we don't know, you know, this was this, but I don't know how long it takes for the radiation actually to dissipate uh, from microorganisms and so on, you know? So in this kind of work, when I was, uh, actually it's like every scientist that I work with, most of them, they work with uh, isolated organisms. You know, now that we, I, I think everybody know what the lichen is, lichens, lichens, a combination of minimum four microorganisms, you know? So in order to have like these beautiful patterns that we see sometimes uh, or on the floor or on trees with different colors, there are like four organisms over there. And actually, if you think about the lichens and also project on us, we have algae, bacteria, we, ha we have algae, bacteria, uh, viruses, human cells all over in our body. You know, is what Donna Hathaway would say, holobionts. You know, so we are all holobionts. And I think this is also something that we have to think. And this is what I also try to to pass through my works and also through the class I give, if that, if we design, if the design is for I, what would be a design for we? And when is we, is not we uh, all humans, but is we the composition of organisms that exists inside of us and how these interactions are. It's still a very difficult challenge in order to understand this collaboration between organisms with all the scientific tools that we have nowadays, you know, and I think there's, a, I think we're going to get there, but I think there is a, a very strong ethical uh, thing that must be, uh, everybody must be aware of, especially when people play with nature and play here is also between brackets because it's, Play can look something very fun inside of the lab, but actually you don't know what that will entail uh, in our environment in a longer term. Uh, Emma asked me to ask the last question, but as you kind of answered exactly the question that I wanted to ask, which was how to go away from isolation into uh, into the holobiont and into humans and microbes. So 
because of that, I think I'll continue by introducing Sarah now. Thanks, Ivan. We'll come back to you. <laughs> Sarah and I first met in Amsterdam when she showed up at the Open Web Lab one day and said that she did stuff with agar art and science. And we did a lot of agar art. I found it super fascinating that somebody took the step of actually using it and make it robust and make it an actual science. So I'm going to now introduce you formally. Our second speaker is Sarah Atkins Jablonski, streaming from Birmingham, Alabama. Sarah is a scientist, artist, and student doctor. She earned her PhD as an NSF graduate researcher fellow at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, where she used a novel curriculum to engage microbiology students using agar art. Her work also involves studying microbial evolution and microbiomes in community soil to better understand the impacts of environmental pollution. Sarah's science artworks have been recognized by FEMS Microbiology MicroArt 2020 and Sigma Xi Art and Film Festival 2019, among others, and have been exhibited across the US. She currently studies at the Alabama College of Osteopathic Medicine. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you all so much for having me. Yeah, so I'm located in, in Birmingham, so that's a metropolitan area in the southern U.S. Um, comparable in size to the Birmingham in the U.K., a little bit smaller, but it's still the, the biggest city in Alabama, which is what drew me to it. Um, I'd actually grown up in multiple cities across the U.S., um, but my family was here in Alabama, so I decided to come to college here. Yeah, so I guess to tell you why I'm now a PhD graduate or how I got into research at all, especially in the microbial sciences. I guess I wanted to start off with a, a very brief little story. You see this here, it's a little comic book illustration. When I was 19 years old in college, I decided to take an art class. I had never been really interested in art before then, um, but I, I took an art class and I was just like overwhelmed with how freaking cool art was. And the teacher was like, everyone in this class can grow up and be an artist. And I was just like fully convinced that art was what I wanted to do. But on the other hand, I was still taking science classes, still very interested in the biological sciences. So in my last year of um, college, I took a microbiology class and I was, was really like wowed and wooed at, at the fact that I was like learning about this, basically the fact that microbes control the entire world, which is really um, cool. But like academically, I did something pretty charismatic um, the last day of class for this professor. Um, I didn't turn in the assignment. So it's like a pretty long research paper. Instead, I turned in, I basically illustrated the answer. So I felt like a scene from the movie, like handing this in, hoping that I would still get a good grade or, or whatever. But um, in fact, I did, even though my, my friends and my partner thought I was pretty crazy for doing this. I, I turned it in. And, and as a result, uh, the teacher actually welcomed me into his research lab. So that's sort of how I got involved in research so many years ago in the microbial sciences. Um, and his lab was a microbial physiology and evolution lab where I um, studied, I guess we'd say like monocultures of E. coli doing very like reductionist experiments, trying to understand the economy of how E. coli um, offsets the labor of, of antibiotic resistance. And, and I thought that was really cool, really interested in, in this broader idea of antibiotic resistance and stewardship programs um, in general. But, but this work in the lab was beginning to happen um, around the same time as the ASM agar art contest. So this was around 2015. They sort of put out their first pretty big um, agar art contest. So for those of you who aren't familiar, the American Society uh, for Microbiology is the biggest society in the U.S. for the microbial sciences. Um, I think the comparable one um, in Europe is FEMS. So anyway, they, they put out this contest and it's been growing. You know, you can look on the Google search images and see that the public has gained like a monumental interest in agar art where we're painting with pigmented bacteria and petri dishes. So you can see 
um, if you're familiar with, with the winner from 2018, Anna Tsitsavili, um, her work shows pigmented figures. So there's one pigmented figure and, and one that's deep pigmented. And the artist says that this is because some of the microbes are producing antibiotics, which wipe out the, the pigment production of some of the microbes. So as we see more and more agar art in this contest, we're not just seeing these, these pieces of agar art as um, cool aesthetic objects, right? We're seeing them as like these little mini ecosystems that can like profoundly show simple microbial concepts immediately. And this, this goes back to, um, I'm sure many of you may be familiar with, with Alexander Fleming, um, sort of the pioneer of, of penicillin, even though, you know, Ernst Duchenne figured it out a few decades prior. But but anyway, no one listens to, to grad students. Anyway, so Alexander Fleming in the 40s was one of the first agar artists, actually. And so it's really cool that, that this is building momentum. But the, in the U.S., the Smithsonian, a lot of writers for them have, have come to think that Alexander's sort of visual acuity for discovering antibiotic resistance, for discovering what, what he first called um, mold juice and then later called penicillin, um, was in fact a result of the fact that he was also an artist and sort of learned to pick up on these on these visual differences. So here I am, a student, kind of growing frustrated with a lot of my science classes, realizing that the way to, to maybe succeed and, and the way that professors were showing interested or showing interest in the way that I was thinking was actually through my artistry or the way that I was thinking about sort of combining these two things. And so um, that frustration <laughs> was recognized actually by, by the National Science Foundation. So in, in the US, there's two different big funding agencies. There's the NSF, the National Science Foundation, and there's also one for health um, health sciences. So I was awarded um, a fellowship to with my professor to help um, put together a curriculum. So it's a series of lab protocols that has students making this type of agar art. And I'll show you more example, or for those of you who can't see, um, some of you will be able to see um, some of the beautiful pictures of, of agar art that our students have made. Um, but we sort of take it a step further, right? I was I was pointing out this this piece that to the 2018 ASM Agar Art winner showed antibiotic resistance, and so our thought is that we could have students not only make this agar art in the petri dish as like this cool visual like art and science can come together thing, but actually as a way to get them interested in the interactions that are happening. So right, the petri dish in in the way that we're using it is not just it's not just a tool, it can be an ecosystem. It can represent sort of these like small microcosms of what's actually happening in the real world. Um, and I will continue to talk about that. So it, this talk, we're, we're talking about why would we use, you know, natural samples as opposed to monocultures or just the E. coli that I was used to working in the lab. And it just seemed like a no brainer when we're putting together a curriculum to try to get students to, to think and act like scientists um, that they would be collecting from the natural environment, that they would sort of be working from, from the very beginning to characterize these microbes, to learn more about what's happening in their community. Um, and so I guess I like preparing this talk was the first time that I was like thinking about like, well, why did we have students collect from the natural environment? And it just seemed like such an obvious choice. Um, and now if you're familiar, I know Amino Labs, it's an organization that where you can like get um, an incubator for your home. You can sort of buy like a genetically engineered E. coli to do a lot of the same techniques we're doing. But in that case, it's just sort of like cool and it's a learning tool. But here, if you're using things from the wild, it's actually a discovery tool. You're learning cool things about the environment that other people may not have known about. So anyway, they collect soil from the environment. They take them back to the teaching lab. Um, spread out the soil. And if you've ever done this, you, you might know that, that soil dilutions when you plate them um, on certain types of media. 
just like grow up all sorts of types of colorful microbes. And from there, the students get to pick which microbes they want to work with throughout the semester. A lot of the times they pick really beautiful um, pigment expressors and, and then they take them um, and make art from them. But right, we're scientists. They, they also learn how to do a lot of physiological tests on them. Um, they sequence the genome of the bacteria so they actually get to know what they're working with. Um, and all of this sort of consolidates in, in them creating um, beautiful works of art so if, if you can't see the slideshow, um, I'll, I'll just, if you can't see it, I'll describe two things. So there's one Petri dish that's, that's pretty simple. It just shows two uh, microorganisms. In fact, these are streptomyces, which are my favorite microbes ever. Um, it's just a really simple sort of covering of, of the Petri dish where you can clearly see antibiotic um, antibiotic resistance between two of the microbes. And so that's just a, a really basic example of what we're trying to get students to think about and look at. And then there are other pictures of sort of weird um, morphologies and pigment expression when we put two microbes together. And so these are examples of the things that students see. So they're trying to make art. They're trying to make the coolest picture that they want to make. And then they, they come back to the lab a few days later and they see just like crazy things, ecology in action, right? Like, like the plate is the, this literal mini ecosystem. And so they, they look at those interactions and they use what they see on the plates um, to, to make their own research projects. I think it's all similar to, to what Roland has his students do it at Vogue Academy, but this is sort of situated in, in a university context, which is pretty cool, um, especially because, at least in my experience in the U.S. sort of higher education system, there's not a lot of opportunities to make your own research projects. It's very like by the book. It's very textbook. Um, so we're actually allowing students the opportunity to explore a lot of these ideas in that way. And then at the end of the semester, they, they present them, a lot of them sort of take these research projects and do more with them than, than the context of the class and they pursue them further. So just going to show that that some of the research ideas they have are, are worthwhile to the scientific community. Um, and I just want to be honest here, I <laughs> a huge database that I, I really need to create to sort of show all of the results the students have um, and make sure that we have a comprehensive list of all the bacteria that we have. We've cultured um, all of them, we've preserved them, so we have them to work with in the future, which is really cool. So just sort of to sum up what, what the curriculum does and why it's so important, um, we have students, right, even though they're they're in college, like the, the lab education in college, the fact that, that I could actually come out of a biology degree at the university without ever having done science is pretty wild. Um, and I don't think that was an experience unique to me. Like a lot of universities are like that. So the fact that we're having students actually learn the entire process of science while going back to like looking um, for microbial interactions in Petri dishes is just amazing. Um, so we have them come in throughout the semester and they of course like learn um, yeah, how not how to wash their hands and how to not touch their face, um, how to use the, the Bunsen burner, and then they're isolating bacteria from the natural world. They're making art from it. Um, and meanwhile, they're also doing some of the nuts and bolts of being able to recognize the patterns um, and, the, and the genetic sequences of the microbes so they actually figure out what they're working on. And that leads them to creating their own hypotheses and um, experimentation. And something else I want to add is that a lot of the, the demographic of students I've worked with um, even though this curriculum has been used by um, professors, a couple of professors around the world, is that in our populations, we're working with students who want to go into healthcare, who want to be nurses and who want to be doctors. And I just, I guess I want to confess the first time that I realized antibiotics were just produced in the soil, I was just blown away. And I, I can tell the story of 
um, being at a dinner party a few years ago with some of my friends who are physicians, and they didn't know that. They didn't know that antibiotics came from soil bacteria. They just thought that it was like a synthesized medicine that humans make that gets rid of bacteria, and that that we can actually um, show students that they're making these connections, you know, way before they actually start medical or nursing school is amazing. And I think that's something that I want to move forward with and sort of my vision for the future. Um, so I'm now a student of medicine in, in a private um, medical college in Alabama. And, and I sort of see the rest of my future really, really honing in on this idea that if we can teach, if we can teach pre-meds, if we can teach nursing students, if we can teach sort of the, the future of healthcare, what microbes are and what they're doing in the natural environment, we can actually save a lot of lives. And that, that sort of goes back to Fleming. Um, and I just, I just wanted to end with, with a quote that I really like. So E.O. Wilson, if, if you've heard of him, he is a uh, sociobiologist and he's actually a native of Birmingham, Alabama, where, where I've been. Um, the right answer to the right question is a guide to major discovery. And so it will ever be in future excursions of science and the imaginative flights of the arts. Um, he really preached this idea of consilience where to understand science apart from art is to not understand it at all and vice versa. And so that's really been a guiding principle um, of a lot of the research I've done in the past few years. Um, so, yes, thank you. It's really nice to hear how you got acquainted or, yeah, got to know art, which I find, which, yeah, what I find super fascinating is that you introduce art or, you know, these tiny paintings with fascinating colors uh, to medical students to learn from it. So really, you know, it's a really nice exercise, but it also really adds, you know, microbes to a library, I think in that way they might end up as a monoculture in a way, um, coming from a you know an open bio lab here in Blue City Lab and and Ronald in the past from the Waag. I'm really wondering what it means for us having different disciplines in the house, working with various or willing to work with polycultures. How do you? see that because we're not maybe looking for a new type of antibiotics but maybe we're looking for something else can you share a bit of your vision on that so do you think it's a good idea <laughs> or just you know I'm just very curious how you think about it because being an artist or a designer is maybe looking for something else and just in at least the education sector something this idea that I keep on coming back to is like backwards designing everything. So you start with your goal in mind and then work around that. So I don't think the answer to your question is is straightforward. It's really like, what is your goal? And what, is, what do you intend to do with that goal? So if you're saying like, I want to be able to work with microbes for this artwork, or I want to be able to do this, or I want to work with scientists to discover this goal, I think would really be like the, the more critical question about whether or not like, should I or shouldn't I? But what are you doing with that information? Um, and then we think about the benefits of using unknown bacteria versus lab cultures really it comes down to do the benefits outweigh the risks and what is sort of your safety level? Who are the people around you that can help you make that decision? Um, so I think that's a really good question. Um, it's just like so complex that it depends, like what are you wanting to do or like what is your ultimate goal? Because one of our renters actually asked the questions, are the species known? Because if you you know dig some microbes from or actually soil, you can grow a whole bunch of microbes, of course. So are they known in, in safety classes or just selected on colors. Oh yeah. So in this class, um, they just select them on the colors, right? Because they have no idea what they got. And we have to treat, um, if you're not familiar with like the biosafety levels, at least in the US, it goes like one, two, three, four. One is like safe 
safest. Um, two is like, you should probably be working in a hood or it could cause infection, but probably not. Um, but we have to treat everything in our lab as though it's BSL-2, as though it's possibly infectious until the students learn otherwise. Um, so it means that we have to basically have a lot more caution at the beginning of the semester, and then they identify them, and then they're like, okay, well, we don't have any pathogens. I mean, we not necessarily crank down the safety, but you don't necessarily have to have like the same attention. Um, but yeah, we have to basically treat everything from the natural environment as though it's BSL-2 or as though it's possibly infectious. And to just give some perspective on that, like mother's milk would technically be considered um, BSL-2 until you like learned or until you could verify that it didn't in fact have um, like HIV or other infectious diseases in it. So, I mean, we, we use these terms in, in the academy, right, um, to be helpful, but we're around BSL-2 organisms all the time, potentially, but we just have to work like until we can verify that it's not, we have to treat it as though it's very serious. Um, and, and the students... I, I guess to answer the, the question again, um, they, they don't know what they're working with until they figure it out. Uh, it's BLAST. They just uh, 16S sequencing and BLAST them. Roland. Yeah, thank you so much, Sarah. Now we have uh, to open up the panel and uh, involve both Ivan and Sarah. Um, we want to ask, moving forward, um, what would this all mean uh, for community labs? What are the challenges? What are the possibilities? We have a participant here inside of this chat, which is called Nimke, <laughs> that she runs a, a bio lab in Blue City, you know. Um, so, but actually, what I find also interesting is this kind of a perspective uh, that people can actually have. And I think this is also through experience. You know, I think like um, the way we have been, because actually I'm I'm also uh, one of the artists selected for a book written by Joanna Page, which was published uh, actually in the beginning of this year. It's called Decolonizing Science in Latin American Art. So it's a compilation of a lot of artists from Latin America, which I think also brings a lot of difference of this perspective of how we work with nature. You know, so I think in this book, she discussed a lot about uh, how artists in Latin America have been looking uh, to different ways of working with living organisms. So definitely suggest for all of you to read this book uh, but also come to the School of Machines in November that I'm going to really discuss about this further. But apart from a lab, lab itself, you know, um, I don't run a lab myself. I have my own lab that I collaborate with a lot of people and we share the same thoughts. So I think like sharing the same thought is already a very good start. Thanks. Thanks, Yvonne. And I also think, Sarah, of course, you, you work in a lab for medicinal research. And here at Blue City Lab, we have many people working on with many microbes. So, um, for example, if we have a person that would like to, you know, bring the mushroom from his park to the lab, working next to somebody who is working with a monoculture, um, do you think... There is a way we can work around it or that it maybe benefits each other or, you know, do you think it's just a very bad idea? Well, I guess I just want to go back to Fleming's example that like happenstance, okay, I want to say like we want to make sure we're being safe, but happenstance contamination like will will beget discovery after discovery. 
And so I, I think it keeps keeps on going on in the chat that like sometimes reductionist like ideas of thinking aren't good. And I think if we have a certain like timeline that we have to get something done, then like maybe we should like just hone in on that. But in, in these collaborative spaces, it just seems really cool that you can like work so closely to someone who's working on something vastly different and like not just your ideas, but your microbes can interchange in like pretty fascinating ways. I guess I do have sort of a horror story about that. So at our research university, um, this isn't to do with microbes, but still kind of cool <laughs> or a little bit to do with microbes, but um, we worked in a microbiology lab and the fly lab was across the hall. And so we would just get like maggot infections on our plates, like all the time. So sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. So I'm going to say. I could add into that, like, uh, you know, uh, I think apart from the experience in finding like new discoveries, but there is this, uh, this uh, gap that we kind of jumped very fast because the bi biological technology accelerated very, very fast in the last 40, 50 years, you know, and of course, like the new, the new bees, which are born <laughs> from the 90s to, <laughs> to, to 2000 and so on, uh, already got like this uh, technology from biology already super developed, which is only isolating one organism in order to understand, you know, so I would suggest just like to give some steps back go to the forest if you have some forest close to you, you know, or try to experience and look at it deeply because I think like the lab, isn't it the world as a lab? Can we consider it as a lab? Does it need, need to be like in a closed environment, you know, and, and completely, uh, what is it called, uh, completely clean, you know, if, if, if the microbes, they are spread, might be trillions of microbes here in my house now, you know, also in everybody's location, you know, so there's a lot of interplays there that we are skipping. And the way that we work now will definitely project how the future will be. So I think like when we work now, you have to foresee especially like working with different kind of time because nature is a different kind of time. And then if you see my works, it's like combining machines with living organisms and machines. We have already a paradigm of machines to work as fast as possible with a, a, a being effective. You know, is it possible to have different kind of machines that work in a different time can we work in a different time alongside natural systems? I put this question for all the ones which are present here. Would you like to react, Sarah or Roland? Well, I want to react more on a meta level. That What I love seeing and hearing happening here is that um, I think the answer to the question is uh, about what community labs can do is that there is a multitude of, of approaches from a traditional to the modern from the from the mono to the poly so the polyculture is also a polyculture in the sense of multiple people cultures and i think community labs should also embrace that and also embrace um <laughs> that multitude 
Yeah, I guess in a way, I mean, you were talking about this idea of the holobiont that we are both who we are and our microbes together, but I guess like the human body is also a polyculture. Um, but I guess I, I was thinking about this idea of like, you know, we're in the, the age of, of like big data and, and it's a lot of sequencing. And so I've worked with microbiome, like data about soils to better understand what's going on and what species are there. But I just, I've just felt this like really profound frustration that all I had was sequences and I couldn't like, that wasn't the life. It was just like a script of what the life was. And so I think the lab just create, creates this like beautiful opportunity to actually like you know, manipulate and and better understand um, what's what's going on. I think a work that illustrates that very much what you're saying, uh, Sara, is from Eduardo Kac, Genesis. Yeah, please tell this project, Ivan, because it's a beautiful project. <laughs> so the Genesis, the Genesis project is uh, well. Uh, the artist Eduardo Kac he translated the Bible into. Uh, DNA codes, and then f from these DNA codes, actually, I don't remember what was the. the someone can uh, help me to refresh my mind. Yes, you know? I can. I can say it. So uh, the, the, he, he translated the part of Genesis from the Bible into DNA, and then people could uh, kind of telematically uh, from a distance log in, and every time they would watch, it would mutate something in the DNA. So people were rewriting. Exactly. exactly, exactly, exactly. It's a beautiful so, bio art project. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful work. And actually, yeah, there's apparently almost no microorganisms, but the conceptually is very biological uh, thinking. Actually, this project was from 1999 or something, end of the 90s. So I think, you know, for back then, of course, we have uh, also Oren Katz, which is also one of the very early yeah bio artists working on on these yeah on these topics so i found it really fascinating but this yeah project i think from eduardo cock is cock is a a really nice example of uh, of this roland what have you learned today i have learned that there's not one answer to the question we're putting out <laughs> and that's also something we should embrace what i think i learned is that Traditionally, you can say a lot of things are kind of obscured about obscured about biolabs and about biology. And in both Sarah's and Ivan's talk, you see that's very much about transparency and by finding out what's under the hood, not looking at the machine, but at the living thing that that machine allows to see, like in the case of the mi microscopy that Ivan showed. So um, I learned a lot of approaches, which I'm also going to mill about and think to use in my own artistic process as my own makerspace. Um, going forward, one of the interesting things that also comes up in the chat a lot is um, whether something which Sarah does can be done in a space like Blue City. And also given the, that, that the technology becomes cheaper and cheaper and that sequencing becomes maybe available to spaces that also can own a printer. I'm really looking forward to see how this kind of uh, project literally can be done in, in, in any shared community lab. Yeah, I think also a trend that I see in the last 10 years, it sounds like I'm very old now, but like, you know, <laughs> knowing a, a few labs for quite a while is that uh, open labs or, or community labs like ours in the Waag and Genspace in New York, for example, really help to 
communicate science, but also making tools cheaper and more available and um, for us. So I think I'm also thinking about the citizen scientists. You know, we can all become scientists. I think opinions are well. Maybe not everybody thinks this way, but you know, us being or foraging outside for microbes can really help some scientific fields further, I really believe. And also art and design plays a vital role in that. I think what Ivan also showed in his work and Sarah as well, both in their own ways, is that we need to show the invisible or make the invisible visible through art, through design, getting to know our you know, fellows that are around us. You know, it sounds a bit philosophical maybe, but um, yeah, we need to cope with them and we can't live without them. So I think it's also from my side, there is not really an answer to this very big question. Um, maybe we need to organize 10 more sessions on it to see how, you know, we can design, you know, with biology and for biology and for biodiversity, because not only in science, but also in agriculture, we see that, for example, permaculture becomes, you know, more popular in a way that more farmers are looking into this, more uh, universities are looking into this. So not only the monocultures, but polycultures. So in that way, I'm kind of optimistic and also very curious what we can learn and what we see uh, in the coming years in this field. So that's... Yeah, the same. Yeah. I think it's uh, this kind of uh, <clears throat> isolation of, uh, of uh, organisms which actually also uh, objectify the, the, the organism itself is like creating a sort of objectification of the organism. You know, and I think that creates the material. I mean, the, ob the object, the, the organism is a material. And when you consider this as a material, I think you lose a lot already. You know, I think you're already discarding a lot of possibilities of this one because it's a life, it's a life form. You know, it's a life form, it's, it, even if it's different from us, but it's a life form. So I think we have to also take that in consideration. If you look to a frog and think that the frog is the, has the same power as you, you know what? What? How can you? What can you learn with the frog, or what can you learn with the crickets, or or microorganism itself? You know, I think like this, this, this time. I think time is a big issue because time we actually want we want speed, and and, and William Flusser, the philosopher, talks a lot about it. But um, I think like time is one of the things that COVID actually brought back to us, you know, that we could have more human time uh, that we could work out better with our own system, you know, so, and also to understand living creatures. If you're going to plant a plant, that will take like a couple of days for you to see what it, how it becomes a microbe, a couple of days, weeks, you know, a mushroom, also a couple of days, you know, so also like implement this in a sort of a machinery, an industry like uh, fashion, it's something to really consider about, you know, because it's about time and it's about experience. 
You know, that's what we actually, artists and designers are looking for, experience, to create, provoke experiences. Also, I think like this is uh, something to, to look to, at. To look at and have a deeper look. Well, thank you, Ivan, and thank you, Sarah. For our listeners, I hope to meet you next time, actually, on a topic of fantastic fungi. So have a look on our website, on our Instagram, and join our LinkedIn page, and hope to see you next time. Thanks for listening. Would you like to attend one of our online meetups? Go to bluecity.nl slash howtobiodesign. If you're looking for more bio tips and tricks, join a community on biofabforum.org. How to Buy Design was realized with funding from Creative Industries Fund NL and edited by Puree Productions. Special thanks to our network partners, Rotterdam University of Applied Science, Willem de Kooning Academy, and to our international network partners, Glimpse.bio from Belgium, and the US-based Biodesign Challenge Team. Hope to meet you in our next episode.